Today in Understanding Immigration, Omicron shutdown and 2021 in review. The Biden administration has done really nothing to show otherwise that they're serious about taking control of the southern border. And this has only been year one. I can't imagine what years two through four are going to look like. We're having hundreds of thousands of people arrive at our southern border unlawfully. Uh, many of them are not COVID tested. They're released into the country even after testing positive for COVID. There's no vaccine requirements, no self-quarantine requirements. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. I'm Preston Hennekins, FAIR's Government Relations Manager, and I'm joined today by Matthew Tregesser, FAIR's Communications Manager. We hope everyone had a filling and safe Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the new Omicron variant of COVID-19 that led President Biden to restrict travel from Southern Africa. And then we're going to dive into some of the biggest moments in immigration news from 2021. So Matthew, let's go ahead and start with this new variant of COVID. This appeared over the past few weeks in countries in Southern Africa, which prompted President Joe Biden to take some familiar actions. How did the U.S. respond to the new emergence of this variant? So earlier this week, President Biden issued an executive order that barred the entry of four nationals from eight African countries. And these include South Africa, Botswana, Zimbabwe, just to name a few. And uh, they bar foreign nationals, but they don't bar U.S. citizens or lawful permanent residents. And, you know, the, the biggest thing to take away from this is obviously the blatant hypocrisy. You know, when Joe Biden or when, when President Trump issued a similar uh, travel ban in 2020 in response to uh, COVID-19 outbreaks in China, uh, President Biden was vehemently opposed to this. He scrutinized President Trump. In fact, he tweeted, uh, quote, we need to lead the way with science, not Donald Trump's record of hysteria, xenophobia and fear mongering. He's the worst possible person to lead our country through a global health emergency. I mean, just outright blatant hypocrisy, and it's just astonishing. Um, you know, when this travel ban also came out uh, earlier this week, you saw the legacy media outlets also protect Joe Biden and, and the travel ban. Um, you know, CNN ran a headline, for instance, uh, and I'll read it here. It says, U.S. imposes travel restrictions as new variant spreads. Obviously, a very vanilla, plain title, no mention of xenophobia, bigotry, uh, and these types of outlets obviously did that when President Trump issued similar bans. Um, so this is a much needed ban. Obviously, this region and the southern portion of Africa is experiencing uh, a, a large number of cases. And, you know, it's a good first step to help reduce and mitigate the chances of this variant spreading uh, in our own country. Yeah, you know, and I think what's important to remember as well is that this isn't something that only the United States does. Mm -hmm. uh, Israel completely shut down its borders over this variant, even though they're one of the most highly vaccinated countries in the world. Mm -hmm. um, there's been other countries very similarly that have done this. Uh, I, I believe uh, Austria and the EU has, yeah. has had Canada, forms of Japan. shutdowns. Canada. So it's it's very rich to, to imagine that the U.S. is this horribly xenophobic country that is the only major country that's ever shut down its borders because of COVID. That's simply not true. And I think you brought up a good point where when Trump did this, it was xenophobic. It was monstrous. Mm -hmm. It was racist. But when Joe Biden does this, it's just business as usual. Right. Um, and what's all, also interesting about this, too, is if they really are concerned about the threat of uh, COVID from foreign nationals or it proliferating, um, you know, why isn't there more importance or more of a strategy at our southern border? 
Um, again, we're having hundreds of thousands of people arrive at our southern border unlawfully. Uh, many of them are not COVID tested. Uh, they're released into the country even after testing positive for COVID. There's no vaccine requirements, no self-quarantine requirements. Um, and so if they're going to do a travel ban like this because they, they fear of, of the variant spreading, you know, why aren't some similar restrictions applied to, you know, those coming at our southern border? And there's really not. Exactly. And it's it's really only a matter of time before this variant spreads throughout the world mm-hmm. and starts entering the United States, if it hasn't already. I'm right. sure it already has. Um, but you're absolutely right. We're doing nothing at the southern border to stop the flow of COVID into the country. We're still using Title 42 to expel some migrants from the border, mm-hmm. but but that doesn't apply to unaccompanied children. It doesn't apply to family units. So there are still plenty of people getting in. We know this um, because of the asylum uh, applications that we're seeing mm-hmm. through USCIS. So th- it's only a matter of time um, for, for COVID to come in, whether it's through planes from other countries or whether it's from you know, illegal aliens crossing the border. Um, it obviously COVID doesn't discriminate. So it's, you know, it's going to enter the country one way or the other, but it does seem that we have a really glaring issue at the Southern border, particularly where people are entering in conditions where they're not able to socially distance. Mm -hmm. Very few of them have masks. Um, They're coming from countries that don't really have access to vaccines. So I I think this is a, a huge issue that we're we're going to see um, the consequences of in the next few weeks. Right. And if you look at the apprehension data from the, uh, the, the fall months, September, uh, especially, you know, there are people from Africa being apprehended uh, in at the southern border, uh, especially from, you know, this kind of sub-Saharan African region. So, you know, it, it's definitely possible that this uh, Omicron variant could come through the southern border if it hasn't already. Um, so, yeah, you know, we'd like to see that from the Biden administration to kind of have more of a stringent ap- approach uh, with COVID and, and these variants at our southern border. And uh, I guess we'll be watching to see if that actually happens. Yeah, well, I want to end um, on this kind of last question for you. As long as COVID is in our lives and as long as we're still reacting to it the way that we do, are there any other immigration-related measures that the U.S. can take to prevent the spread of COVID? Um, travel bans have obviously been um, the biggest one, but but are there is there anything else off the top of your head you can think of that we could be doing more in the sphere of immigration to to limit our exposure to COVID as a country? Well, I'll tell you what you can't do is what's happening at the southern border with the limited uh, COVID testing, no vaccine requirements, uh, and basically just allowing anyone who arrives at our southern border unlawfully to be released into our country. Uh, there has to be more of a protocol. Um, th- these are minor steps. People who are American citizens, who are law-abiding citizens, have to go through uh, certain requirements in our country, e- even here in D.C. with mask mandates, uh, you know, vaccination cards and, and public places. Um, and so, you know, if people are coming here unlawfully or they're an asylum seeker, you know, there has to be some type of mechanism set in place to determine if someone's going to be carrying COVID into our country. And if they are testing positive, you know, they shouldn't be released into the interior. We saw this, um, there was an article this summer in McAllen, Texas, where there were thousands, I think it was like 7,000 or so released into uh, the city of McAllen after testing positive. And that's, you can't be doing that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that's kind of, at least for the Southern border, um, again, these travel bans, you know, they're not the panacea to disease outbreaks. They can help delay uh, the, the spread of, of a disease this, um, this impactful. Uh, but no one is saying this is the only solution uh, to help mitigate the spread of COVID around the world. It's, it's to delay. It's to give us more time to, 
to reassess the situation, um, and it's a good first step. Absolutely. So uh, let's transition now to the second part of, of our segment today, uh, just going over the the year in review, 2021. Um, it's been a big year for immigration mm-hmm. policy, um, for changes uh, in immigration uh, what we've seen at the border, uh, you know, President Biden took over on January 20th, 2021, and in his first week made a series of changes that were, you know, he obviously is a very different president than President Donald mm-hmm. Trump. So, uh, Matthew, what do you think has been the biggest story in immigration this year? I would say, without a doubt, the border apprehensions that we saw at our southern border this fiscal year. Uh, 1.7 million. That is a historic high. And, you know, you compare that to the uh, so-called border crisis in 2019 under President Trump, and we saw about uh, a million apprehensions. This is nearly double. Uh, And the sad reality about this is that this is all self-inflicted. President Biden dismantled everything President Trump did with immigration, uh, with our southern border security, with halting wall construction, ending the MPP program, uh, terminating our asylum cooperation agreements with the Northern Triangle, and then you look at the interior immigration enforcement uh, kind of stuff, and you know he made it he made um, ICE or he made it difficult, more difficult for ICE to apprehend and remove individuals. Those totals fell to historic lows in the spring, and so combined, yeah, you know it, it's without question that these policies uh, encourage more people to come here unlawfully, um, and you, when you have this large number of people coming unlawfully. Obviously, that presents a number of issues, public health issues. There's the criminal component, um, cultural component. Um, and also, it strains the Border Patrol and immigration authorities at our southern border. And, you know, maybe the issue, you know, when they're focusing on, on these large totals, you know, maybe their attention's being diverted from more serious matters. And so it's it just, uh, I would say, without a doubt, the number of people that are crossing here unlawfully. Again, this is year one, not even year one under the exactly, Biden administration. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so can you imagine the next two, three, uh, four years? So we'll be monitoring that. But without a doubt, the number of people who are trying to come here unlawfully in just a year. Yeah, I would say as well. Like you said, the, and, and the number is directly reflective of Biden's policies. Uh, it, you know, we did not see this under, under President Trump. And in fact, the one year where there was a serious border crisis under mm-hmm. President Trump in 2019, it was largely taken care of because of policies put in place by the Trump administration that the Biden administration subsequently got rid of mm-hmm. or curtailed or seriously scaled back. Um, you brought up the migrant protection protocols. Those were huge in keeping our apprehension numbers down. Um, they really hadn't gone into into full effect yet, but the agreements that we had with the Northern Triangle countries to to address asylum among the three of them in region and not bringing them bringing people to the mm-hmm. U.S. Those would have been massive in curbing asylum abuse in this country. And so when you remove those, you're absolutely right. It just led to a a swelling of the number of people who correctly thought that they could get to the U.S. and stay. And the Biden administration has done really nothing to show otherwise that they're serious about taking control of the southern border. And like you said, this has only been year one. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine what years two through four are going to look like. Right. And also uh, another huge thing that needs to be discussed from this year is the Afghan refugee debacle. You know, I don't even know where to begin with that, but, you know, we brought in tens of thousands of people from Afghanistan who were unvetted. 
We left behind American citizens, left be, uh, behind SIV recipients or those who helped uh, the U.S. military in Afghanistan in some capacity, you know, interpreters, drivers, what have you. And now they're being resettled all across our country, kind of really losing track of where they are, who they are. A lot of taxpayer funding to fund this. We never looked at regional refugee resettlement at all. Um, and so, you know, that was, I mean, if you recall, that was such a big story. Now I feel like it kind of vanished. Yeah. Um, but that was certainly a big failure on behalf of the Biden administration. Um, and I, that was something very notable from this year. And it was interesting, too, because politically, um, outside of the immigration sphere, the, the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan was when you started seeing a lot of polling start turning south for Biden. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember seeing where that was the first uh, one of the first times where in the real clear politics polling average of his favorability, more people across numerous polls very quickly started saying that they had an unfavorable view of Joe Biden. And I think a lot of that does have to do with the the images of people, you know, crowding into into the Kabul airport, crowding mm -hmm. onto onto um, not even passenger planes, onto uh, you know military planes flying them to the U.S. And then we're holding them in in you know military bases. Uh, we're holding them at an abandoned mall in Northern Virginia. Yeah. It's and and people start seeing the news stories of wow, none of these people were vetted. Um, some of them sexually assaulted other either refugees or members of the military. That happened in um, Fort McCoy in Wisconsin. Mm. And, you know, people started to look around and say, wow, if they messed up on, on this to this degree, you know, have they been doing this with other policies? Right. And you start looking around. And again, this, is, this goes beyond immigration, but people really started looking at other aspects of the Biden presidency and started really scratching their heads. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, going on uh, kind of that topic is let's not forget the role that DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas had this entire year. I mean, you look at him conducting media interviews, testifying in front of Congress. I mean, this guy was a slick guy. And no matter what he said, you know, he would make it seem like nothing bad was happening, immigration or homeland security related. It seemed like the way he spun things, he misled the American public. Uh, it, it just, he was so good at, at wording things and just deflecting and to see that time after time after time, it's like, look, you got a historic border crisis. You, you got the Afghan refugee crisis. You got all kinds of, of crises occurring under you and you're sitting here calm, cool and collected like nothing's happening. And that was just really interesting to see. I mean, he's been the architect of a lot of these immigration um, proposals and executing them. Um, and you know, he, he's been here for a long time. He is a mastermind and he's an open borders advocate and he's not gonna be stopping anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, and again, he's, a, he's a smart guy and yeah. that's how he's been able to navigate this, this area so well is that he is very experienced. He, you know, he was at USCIS under the Obama administration. He's, um, a, a pretty good lawyer. And that, that definitely comes out during some of the Senate and, and House hearings where you mm -hmm. see how he's able to really definitely defer on questions that he probably knows the answer to, but doesn't want to, you know, give mm -hmm. it away. Um, another of these, you know, immigration lieutenants that I think we have to hit on because it was such a story in 2021 was 
the appointment of Kamala Harris as the border czar. Yeah. Although oh she my. she always claimed, no, I really wasn't the border czar. I was just in charge of addressing root causes of mm-hmm. migration. She had that disastrous trip to Guatemala where, you know, she stepped off the plane and there were people telling protesting Prote- yeah. her, telling yeah. her to go home. <laughs> Um, she that she had the infamous you know um, do, you know do not come do not come to the United States mm-hmm. which of course is the complete opposite of what they were saying throughout the campaign and even here domestically uh, what a just Disaster. nightmare for the vice president yeah <laughs> you know also she visited the border I believe El Paso um, was nowhere near the epicenter in McAllen uh, it just you know obviously uh, President Biden still hasn't been to the border uh, just uh, I don't even know what exactly her role has been over the past year. It certainly hasn't helped the situation. In fact, it's probably fractured relations with these governments in the Northern Triangle and in Mexico. Um, but certainly just not not a good uh, person to have there. No, definitely not. And it's certainly hurt her politically as she might try to run in 2024, assuming that, that Joe Biden uh, opts to, to just retire. Um, one another thing that I think we have to talk about. It seems like it's you know a distant memory uh, now, but you know the House of Representatives passed two massive, actually now three, mm. um, given that they passed the Build Back Better Act. But um, earlier in the year, they passed two massive amnesties that would give citizenship to millions of illegal aliens. The first of those was HR six, the American Dream and Promise Act, uh, which which covered. TPS recipients, it covered um, DACA recipients, it covered anyone that ever qualified for DACA. It um, it uh, included you know critical infrastructure workers that um, that was the you know the big term of the day at the beginning of COVID or at the tail end of COVID rather. Um, so they passed that, and then a month or so later, they passed HR sixteen oh three, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act, which essentially created. A system of indentured servitude for mm. farm workers. It expanded the H, the already unlimited H two A program, uh, and it was really just a giveaway to to big agriculture. Uh, these were two, you know these are two bills that have periodically c- come up. They they were passed in the last Congress, but died in the Senate. Uh, interestingly enough, the Senate, even though it's controlled by Democrats, never took these up, uh, even though they fell right in their lap. And I would imagine that there's probably even even mansion and cinema probably agree with what's in these bills um but it's just you know it's remarkable to see what happens when you do change control of of the chambers you know these are bills that would never pass under under uh, republican um, house of representatives Mm -hmm. and yet this was one of the democrats big priorities when they first came in yeah and just the, the concept of amnesty of course during a historic border crisis is just unbelievable i mean what what kind of message is that sending to people uh, from other countries? Uh, it's saying that you know if you come here unlawfully, break our laws, we're going to reward you with you know a pathway to citizenship, or even in you know recently with the House uh, BBB uh, Act uh, parole, which is going to serve as an, an amnesty. Um, it's just you have to question how is this even a remote priority of Democrats right now? I, it's just unbelievable. Well, and in line with um, what they're trying to push through the Build Back Better Act, through reconciliation, you know, some of this may come back to, to hurt some of these moderates and these centrists yeah. who are running in in districts that either normally skew Republican or in recent elections have become more and more Republican. I, I think immediately of someone 
like um, Abigail Spanberger from Virginia's 7th District. She's in a, I think the Cook PVI for that district is R plus 3. And in the governor's election, I want to say that Glenn Youngkin won that district by 10 points. So she's got to be terrified right now. Um, and yet she's she voted for the Build Back Better amnesty. She voted for HR6 and she voted for HR1603. You know, you have to ask yourself, is she going to answer for some of these really unpopular bills, um, particularly with immigration when we have an out-of-control crisis at the southern border? Um, her and a number of other um, of these Democratic moderates who were first elected in 2018, I think, are really looking at the map in in 2022 and are probably pretty scared about their reelection prospects. No, and it shows you how... I, I guess uh, far to the left, some of these Democrats have become, or or at least received pressure from these open borders uh, lobbyists, advocates, and you know I, I think that they're essentially doing things that they, that you know a couple years ago they wouldn't be in favor of. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see in 2022 uh, what Democrats do with you know their amnesty uh, efforts, and you know it, it's going to be again a long. Uh, a long year with the Biden administration also obviously still uh, pressuring them and, and working with them daily. Right. So I think um, the the last thing that really stands out to me about 2021 has been the Build Back Better plan. Mm. Um, you know, Joe Biden said from the onset that he wanted to pass infrastructure spending. And we've already done that. And that was signed into law uh, with the the bipartisan infrastructure framework. But now they're moving this $1.8 trillion tax and spend bill that includes an amnesty for 7 million people. It doesn't give them a pathway to citizenship, but it gives them work authorization. It protects them from deportation. It gives them access to some um, social spending and welfare. Mm -hmm. And even though it's temporary, it only lasts for 10 years, there is nothing more permanent in immigration than a temporary solution. There is no way that a Congress 10 years from now is going to strip these protections from these people. We've seen that with TPS. We've seen how hard it was for President Trump to try to even end DACA, which was Mm. barely four years old. And so... This is how the Democrats are ending 2021. Uh, in the House, they've already passed this, and they're currently working through it as we speak in the Senate. Uh, this is something we've obviously had a podcast episode about. We're probably going to be talking about it in the future as the Senate either passes it or, or fit, you know, st- st- the parliamentarian could still strip out the immigration language. Mm-hmm. We just don't know. But um, it's incredible that now the in the House... There have been three votes on on amnesty. This would have been unthinkable even 10, yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's important to re, uh, reiterate here that even though it's a parole uh, situation for 10 years, as we've seen with TPS for decades now, uh, it, it's just going to be renewed, renewed, renewed. And there's going to be virtually no way to remove these folks. Um, so it really serves as an amnesty. I mean, again, you look at TPS and you know, a number of Central American countries, uh, countries in Africa, and you know, they in like the 90s, they would you know experience an earthquake or some kind of crazy circumstance. And you know, since then, it just this TPS designation gets renewed, 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 and you know, it's it just basically an amnesty. It's, it's a way to stay here permanently, like you said, uh, work authorization um, and other perks that basically make them almost 
you know, like, like an American citizen. Exactly. And then the whole goal is to just get them here legally mm-hmm. and then keep them in this limbo. And that's what they've done with DACA. And and soon enough, the the calls from activists and whatnot to legalize them will grow stronger and stronger. Um, and, and that's their end goal is to eventually give citizenship to these people. It might not might not happen in the 117th Congress, but mm-hmm. who's to say it won't happen a few, you know, a few sessions from now? Mm-hmm. We just don't know. And that's, I think, a calculation on the part of the Democrats to, um, to make that happen. So I, I think that's a, a great point to end our discussion on. Uh, for everyone listening at home, we hope that you enjoyed today's episode. If you like this podcast, uh, we ask you to please subscribe, leave us a review, uh, and share it with your friends and family. For more information on FAIR and our mission, please visit FAIRUS.org or find us on Twitter at FAIR Immigration and on Facebook. Until next time, this has been the Understanding Immigration podcast presented by FAIR.